This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast, brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts, who are currently selling classic and clearance lines with products £5 upwards, so something for everyone. Um, they've got shops in Manchester and London, um, and you can order online as well. Listeners to the show can get a discount with TOTD10 at the checkout. I am Wayne Barton, joined as always by the right honourable Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you very much, Wayne. And yourself? I'm all right, thank you. Yep, um, had a nice weekend despite the heat. Um, we're not used to it up here, as you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we saw that sort of shiny thing in the sky um, for a few days. Um, so it's been a bit weird, yeah. But they, they've predicted some rain and thunder and lightning um, for us so um, we can get back to normal. <laughs> so, hopefully, yeah. Um, we had a week off last week of the podcast, but you didn't, Paul, really. Um, you might have seen, um, if you've read the Manchester Evening News that Paul was in, a fantastic um, a read that's was a little bit longer um, version of it online as well. You know, I, I've personally been blown away by the fantastic response we've had for the podcast since we relaunched it. Obviously, talking football with a legend increases the likelihood of it being picked up by the press. Um, and it has been a few times. Paul, like I said, did a feature that ran in the Manchester Evening News yesterday, but there is a longer version of it online. The link of that's going to be in the description of the podcast notes. Um, it's really good of them to plug the podcast, but I think it's a measure of the class of Paul 
the, the man that I talk football with every week. Now, Paul's no stranger to the press, um, so to do that and have this show advertised, something very humble by an appreciative, appreciative of. Um, at the end of the day, I am talking football um, with one of my heroes. Um, and it's a similarly sentimental theme. I wanted to start the show on Paul, really. On Friday, it was the 110th birthday of Jimmy Murphy, who, of course, sadly passed away in 1989. Jimmy Murphy, everyone who listens to the show, if you don't know, I'll be appalled. was the assistant <laughs> manager of um, Samat Busby. He, he was responsible for the youth development of the Busby Babes before Munich. He basically kept the club running after Munich um, and was then responsible for talent spotting. Um, indulge me in a little bit of story time then, because one of the best things about going back and writing books on United history is about how things link together to find stories that you never knew. So, for example, I'll tell you this story about Gordon Hill Paul. So he was playing for Millwall, and he was at Chester. He knew that he'd been scouted, obviously, but he didn't know that Jimmy Murphy had scouted him. He thought he was Bill Folks because he'd been... Um, he'd had a loan from Millwall to Chicago Sting and Bill Folks was manager there and he thought Bill had recommended him to United. The story actually goes that Jimmy went to watch this game for Millwall at Chester um, within off, I think he left at half time he was that sure of um, of Gordon signing for United and he went back to the Throstle's Nest um, to have a pint with his son and he's talking about um, what a great player Gordon was and how he was you know, definitely going to be a star. At the time, he was a little bit um, upset because he'd been given a pension that wasn't very great. They were only, uh, I think at that point, for his scouting, they were only paying for his train fare. So he wasn't really getting compensated very well. And um, obviously, for a man... I mean, Jimmy wasn't a demanding man, but for a man who gave as much as Jimmy did, um, he could have expected to be treated a little bit better. Um, so he was having this sort of internal conflict... And he said to his son, he said, oh, he's a certain to make it, Gordon, but I don't know if I should bother my horse about recommending him to the club when they never do anything for me. And his son said, you will do it because you're a man of integrity um, and you love United too much. And Jimmy just said, yeah, you know what, you're right. And he went to the phone box in the corner, like this is, well, I guess just after finishing his pint, rung Tommy Docky at home to say, sign, um, sign Gordon Hill. And he said, oh, I'll do it in the morning. He said, no, make the offer tonight because in the morning it'll be gone. Um, I told Gordon that. And you know Gordon isn't often speechless. Mm. <laughs> but he was then because he was like, that was basically Jimmy Murphy's integrity, which kept him on the path to United. Now, Paul, you don't need anything to legitimise your connection to the club. You're one of our best ever right-backs. I'm not only saying this because I'm talking to you. One of our best ever right-backs. You won league titles. You won every domestic trophy for the club. Scorer, of course, of two world-class goals in a red shirt. (laughs) Um, But tell me how it feels to know that Jimmy Murphy, because this is the thing that, as well... When we, I was researching Kesar Arsara, I sent you a news clipping, didn't I, from Atkinson's time where he said United are interested in you. I was like, oh, look what I found. But then I was rereading Eamon Dunphy's book last week, uh, A Strange Kind of Glory. You get near the end, and there's a reference to Paul Parker being recommended to United by Jimmy Murphy. How does it feel to know that Jimmy Murphy, who alongside Joe Armstrong, is really known as the legendary talent spot of United? He saw you play and thought, that boy should play for my club. Well, I mean, given that, you know, when you only hear about things when you get involved, and if I, if I wasn't a Manchester, become a Manchester United player, 
I wouldn't really recognise that name. It's only when you're involved in the club and you suddenly realise what that man was all about to Manchester United, as a person, of course, but what he means to Manchester United fans, because, you know, United is is about the history of the club as, as much as it the present day. So to know that, that someone like him spotted me while I was... While I was, I think I was a Fulham player, wasn't were, I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was a Fulham player. Says something because never, I never had a clue. As far as I was, when I was at Fulham, I was there for life. I was going nowhere. Mm. You know that. That's the way I looked at it. I think that's how everyone looked at it because, because I think loyalty was key then. And you know, I was there from a, from a very young young child all the way through <clears throat> to a twenty three year old. But to know that someone was actually watching me then does say, you know, does say a lot. I did hear rumours even even before I left Fulham about me going to the um <clears throat> to the team at the um the other side of the motorway, going there at one point. That was mentioned on quite a few occasions, but that never materialised in the end. But just thinking about it, I've always said, I've said on quite a few 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 times, few shows, is that one of my biggest regrets is that I never got to play for United sooner. Mm. But obviously, Jimmy, if Jimmy had his way, you probably would have done. Am I being overly sentimental with that? I mean, there's something, you know, Jimmy Murphy and everything that he stood for, and knowing now you'll go back and Jimmy was basically saying, I really think that boy should play for United. Does that tighten your emotional bond with the club? Well, it's quite strong anyway, to be honest yeah. with you. It does make me, me realise that it could have happened, which does make you feel good. It could have happened sooner as well when I was at Queen's Park Rangers but it didn't materialise there's always reasons behind it there's always a story behind it and but to know that I was recognised at that at that given time even one of my teammates was recognised as well as I saw Ray Houghton was in there as well mm. and and if you want in fact Ray Houghton says a lot about the man's judgement because Ray Houghton was when he turned up at Fulham when I was like I think I was a second year apprentice no I was a first year first year pro and Ray Houghton turned up and he joined in. He joined in with us in the park as the young players, old apprentices, first year pros. We was training in Bishop's Park in the afternoon, and Malcolm McDonald, their manager, just put, chucked in Ray Hout, and they got him in a free transfer from West Ham. And he joined in with us. And Ray was a year older, but Christ Almighty, we turned up and we, we said West Ham couldn't have let him go. Surely not. They couldn't have let him go, and they did, which is absolutely incredible. And, and that was that was the reason why West Ham let him go because. They felt that Alan Dickens was going to be a better player than Ray Houghton, and Ray Houghton was an incredible player. We could, but it's all about opinions, and and I still talked about it now at West Ham. But we saw what Ray Houghton's career was like, so that tells you how good a, how good a judge this man was. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact, I mean, the, you know, that there are probably a handful of people. I mentioned Jimmy Murphy and Joe Armstrong. It's obviously Matt Busby. And then you've got Sir Alex Ferguson, and I guess at youth team level you would have Eric Harrison. You're talking about a handful, and like the, probably even less than a handful, Paul, of people who basically, if they tell you that you're a Manchester United player, and you had two of those people, you know, you had Fergie who obviously signed you, and then Jimmy Murphy who, who knew what it took to be a United player, for two of the, like, you know, the um, Mount Rushmore uh, mm. in America with the presidents, you could have Busby, Murphy, Ferguson. And so let's say Joe Armstrong, if we talk about talent spotting, and two of those have sort of said you're the the player that we should have in. Well, you have the ability to play for Manchester United. Um, it's a little bit better than you know David Moyes 
with all due respect to David Moyes signing Marouan Fellaini from United, the, the kind of rubber stamping of, you know, being recommended to United is um, couldn't have come with a better seal, really. Um, yeah, so I was just I was fascinated. It's what I love going back and finding little stories like that. And Eamon Dunphy obviously found that in his in his book, A Strange Kind of Glory. Um, but yeah, that story that I found about Gordon was something that um, Jimmy's son told me all about that conversation. And um, Gordon, yeah, like I said, not often speechless, but um, was on that occasion. Um, to mark the occasion of Jimmy's um, birthday, I decided I was going to do a giveaway on Twitter So uh, of the, the book, the, the Man Who Kept the Red Flag Flying, uh, which is the family-authorised biography I wrote um, two years ago. Um, if you're listening now, um, it'll probably um, have ended that giveaway but i'm going to give another way uh, another away to a listener of this podcast so it's the same rules as we always do for um, giveaways on this podcast just review the podcast on apple podcasts post it to us at talk of the devils or hashtag talking devils on twitter and we'll announce the winner in a couple of weeks football then paul um and, and modern day manchester united and talk about players who might be good enough to play for the club According to Borussia Dortmund, if we don't sign Jadon Sancho today, we're not allowed to sign him. That's the deadline they set, and he's on. He's currently on their plane now. He's going to their training camp wherever they're going, and they want 120 million euros. I wonder, Paul, if we offer that money on Friday, if they say no. Um, it's all fun and games, isn't it? However strong that deadline is, the point is that they want the deal to be sorted out as soon as possible. It's obviously United want him. But it's a good approach to take. I think everyone would want this one sorted out as soon as possible. Um, and talk to me a little bit about. There's been division about whether or not he, he's actually worth this amount of money. And um, well, you know, it could potentially be a record signing for United. Um, he's obviously got the quality. We don't know if he can transition from Germany to England. We've had a few failures on that regard before. But um, it would make a lot of sense. He looks like he's the major target of the summer, so it would make sense to get this sorted out um, as quickly as possible, wouldn't it? Yeah, I suppose for United's point of view, because because their record in transfer dealings has been quite poor in the sense of organisation, timings haven't been good. So it'd be good for Oli, given what he's, he's done already, to maybe have this one in a bag as early as possible. But I will say this, is that United <coughs> excuse me, cannot have their bottom spanked on pricing because a deadline's been set as we know there's no deadlines in football the only way the only way that can be guaranteed that sight of not signing the deadline today is actually if it was a transfer deadline if it was at midnight it's finished that's the only, that's the only way club setting deadlines don't, you know they come up with a full money like you say <clears throat> on Friday I'm quite sure they will take it but I think United have to be very very careful not to get their pants pulled down again because I'll say it again, is that they got their pants pulled down by Leicester t- to pay £80 million for Maguire. Yeah. But to go and pay this kind of money on a player <clears throat> who seems OK, is doing OK, but when everybody talks about him, how many of those people can put their hand on their heart and tell me they have watched 90% of his games for Dortmund and are in a position to really judge him? Yeah, I can't. I no, can't I can't. Them. I can't. People... You know, don't don't read stats. Watch him as need to watch him as a player. Because if it's about stats, then the scouting systems every club should actually be taken down. Because just would just sign people on stats, which everyone can see. So everyone's got an opinion on the player. 
but you need to watch him every single night. If you give me, do you tell me you watch 85 to 90% of his game and you give me an opinion, I will trust your opinion more than mine because I haven't watched him. For that. I've seen bits of him, of games, I've seen flashes, I've seen him play for England where I've, I think he's done okay for England. Yes, he's scored goals, but I wouldn't say I've gone, wow, he's made such a mark. He hasn't made a mark for England like Wayne, Wayne Rooney made. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so he hasn't done that. So I think, okay. So I'm, I'm kind of going and, and I'm a little bit disturbed by when I keep seeing all these pundits on TV and one of them in particular telling everyone, telling United as an ex-United player, go and get him, go and do this, go and do that. When I know that he hasn't watched anywhere near 85 to 90% of his games, but it's very reaction. You have to, they, they react and the producers love that because straight away he's hung his hat on it, but it's guesswork. Yeah. It, is, it is guesswork. I would ask the question, how necessary is he a signing for United when you've got Greenwood, you've got Martial, you've got Rashford, you've got James, you've got, I mean, have I left anyone out? I think, oh yeah, those have got, they haven't got an actual centre forward. It's Manchester United and by Sancho is another wide player. Yeah. So they haven't got a natural centre forward and as good as it's been, a great end of a long season and still, still obviously the Europe's still going on. I don't think they can start that way. I really don't because how much trust can you put in Martial to do a job in there regularly? Yeah. <clears throat> if he, he has to play regularly. He has to play 90 minutes because if he doesn't play 90 minutes, he pulls the face and he gets the ump. Yeah. So how are you going to keep doing that? You can, you're hoping sooner or later that he's going to realise that football is a team game and the manager's doing his best to try and win a game. <clears throat> Simple as that. So I think that really for that kind of money... I think you can go out and get yourself an established, so established forward who has got a good reputation around of scoring goals to good clubs in big games, in big comp yeah big competition. I think so. Now, if they go and spend that money, I really hope it hits the ground running because I don't want to see Oli put on that put under that pressure of everything tied up in one signing. Yeah. When there's other signings to be made, which for me are more important for stability-wise, the ones that need are needed for a platform or a foundation, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree. And, and one thing I would say, in all his credit, because we've defended his transfer record on this show, um, and I'll continue to do that, but it's kind of in his credit that he's going top-heavy. So he's looking at the problems... And he's saying, well, we'll sort out the attacking thing because he's, he's sort of thinking, well, this is the philosophy of United. We'll score more than you. So rather than looking at it from a problem perspective and sorting out the bigger problems first, he's going with the sort of ethos. And I like that in a way. I'll get behind that. Um, but I am a little bit concerned about all the eggs in the Sancho bank, uh, basket. I think... He's a brilliant player, he's, he's a talent. From what I've seen of him, I think I can see where he would fit into the United side and hopefully elevate us in the way that um, Fernandez has. I think he could do um, something like that. Um, I think all the potential's there for him to do it. I, I would urge caution that the, the thing is that he's obviously United's main target, so Dortmund are sort of counting on that as well and they're counting on United to pay all this money. I'm sure... I might be wrong on this. Someone might pull me up on Twitter and say I'm wrong about this. I'm sure there was a period at maybe winter or autumn he was dropped from the Dortmund side um, 
not because he was playing poorly, but it was like, well, if you want to leave, then we can do without you. That kind of thing. Which, you know, fair enough, that's good for a club to do that sort of thing and exercise their own power. But if he's that dispensable, you know, don't be able to ransom to pay a world record, uh, well, a club record fee for him. It's going to be an interesting thing anyway. Um, You know, like I say, if he comes, he's a quality player. I'm not going to be concentrating on the fee. But I know, I, I talked to Gordon Hill about this and obviously yourself. There is a... People say, oh, the, the money's the money and it's not um, that big a factor. And maybe that's true, but it is a factor in how that player gets judged, you know, he has to perform yeah. from the ground, running, like you said. He's going to have to start, like, playing good straight away. There's going to be no settling in period. The thing as well, the thing as well Wayne, is that there's a lot of people who are pushing for this to go. They want, everyone wants to talk about it. Cause it and if it does happen... Oli then has put a target on his back because you have to remember all the good work that Oli has done, people are then hoping that if he makes that signing, that it fails because, yeah. because they want him to fail. No one's really talked about Oli and about what Manchester United have achieved. They were talking about Manchester United underachieving pre-lockdown. I was one of them saying that, talking about it. And I, went, and I put my hands up so many times, but my, my way of saying because of sheer disappointment, not for the fact I was happy that United weren't doing well. <clears throat> I was I was disappointed. I was I didn't like it. I didn't like what was going on. The players weren't good enough. To, some of the players weren't given enough for to actually in that jersey. But the problem is, if he goes in there and gets him, he's lining himself up for more. Because when his name doesn't get mentioned as being one of the managers of this season, then that tells you something that it's a it's a media orientated agenda. That's going on. Why is Brendan Rodgers has been mentioned? Why, mm. given given their form after lockdown? Or are we not including that? Are we, have they dismissed that bit? That's the bit because it seems like it that way. Frank Lampard, Chelsea finished third last season. They finished fourth. Yeah. You know. So how is how is his season better than Ollie's season? Considering what Ollie was up against, everyone will throw up. Oh, we couldn't buy anybody. He got Pulisic. So he's got him, who's been their best player, even though Frank weren't playing him early on. Frank was leaving him out. He was yeah, trying. Yeah. He's playing his own homeboys. That's what he was doing instead of him. That man has stood forward and got Frank over the line in the end. Just about Chelsea got over the line, but yet Frank is seen as having a better season than Oli Gunnar because everyone is negative about him being manager of the football club. So I don't want him lining himself up and not getting the best out of it. He has to, in certain way, think about himself. And be honest himself and say to himself, does he really need that pressure around him? Has he got enough there, players, to play and do similar stuff what Sancho can do? Do I need something to spend my money more wisely for the long game of Manchester United? And that means this coming season rather than looking at the short game. Because if I do this, other, other parts of the team are slightly weaker. Smalling coming back could make a difference in that back line. <coughs> back line. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I hope so. I would love him to come back because he should never have gone out and loan in the first place. Him next to Maguire might help Maguire because Maguire is not a leader. He is not a captain. Smalling is, is, was decent. Was leading. Was leading the team. He was captain of Manchester United under LVG. So he could make a difference next to Maguire and help Maguire out because Maguire needs help to understand playing in that jersey. He's trying too hard to be something that he's not. Now he's playing for Manchester United and he needs to, 
as I always say, is that know your strengths and limitations. And it's amazing what, you, what happens when your teammates around you <clears throat> understand it. And so my strength was to try and get the ball. And then I believe my other strength was knowing to give it to someone who can do that next stage of it better than what I can. Yeah. Maguire's got to understand that living off his world or these words of he's a footballing centre-half because he's not. Yeah. I'll talk about centre-halves in a second. Um, mm. Have a little bit of a recap on the game last week. Um, mm. LASK, 2-1 win, pretty unconvincing. We, we, we made keep it, we keep it short. Yeah, we made all, for the game itself, yeah, absolutely. We, we made all the changes. There was an expected drop in quality and intensity. <laughs> a couple of bright spots, which I will talk about, but it, it was effectively a friendly, maybe even a shop window for some of the players. In terms of the game, we don't really need to go over it, but you have always been an advocate for performances carrying on from one game to the other. Do you have any concern? I, I'm not that bothered. I, you know, it was flat. It was a bit rubbish to watch. Uh, we won the game. It was a big change in turnaround in the players. So I, I just see um, today as a fresh game, which we'll talk about in a bit, but I, I'm not that worried about um, the performance it was what we expected. Um, if there is a concern, Paul, maybe it's that the players who didn't step up um, didn't do themselves any favours. Yeah, <clears throat> which it's very difficult when you've been out for a long while to suddenly <clears throat> come in and deliver straight away. It's very, very difficult to do that because you come in and mentally you're feeling as a, you feel like a, a bit part, you feel like a spare leg, as we, when I was playing, we called them cones. You stand around and <clears throat> all you are is for the first team to play around in training sessions. So those players are maybe not feeling good in themselves, but then you'd want them to go out there and prove everybody wrong. Mm. But it's very, very difficult. And it's very difficult to hold judgment against them. But in today's world, what football's become, they have to be, they, they have to be on that mark because it, it's not showing the manager all the time. It's about showing other people, other clubs, that you have got something about it. you have got a good attitude. So no one really done themselves anything. The the result, um, what was um, the conclusion of that game was even before kickoff was that United were going to go through to the next stage, and that's about as good as to really to pull it because it, it it was it was it was poor. It was seriously poor in a game that was already deemed a friendly, and then to have no one round watching it as well, it made it even worse than what it was. It's you know it was a a pointless European game, one that they should have decided just keep it as a one-off now because I'm sure they, they didn't believe they were going to win LASK. I'm sure they didn't think they was going to win. So it could have saved time, could have saved everything if UEFA had just said, do you want to play this game? They most of you have said with travel costs. And I'll tell you what, given the current climate, we won't bother because mm. that's, that's how the game was played. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of positives. Though. Lingard, um, Let's have a little bit of a different conversation about Jesse Lingard. It has been a difficult thing for him. He's obviously had a tough time in his personal life and he's been open about that. Now, he scored two in the United's last two games. Um, I wouldn't say there's been a convincing argument to say, oh, well, this is a new Jesse Lingard. However, I think certainly for this, you, this sort of spell in the next three games or so, if we, if we play that many, he deserves to be in the squad and he deserves his chance to sort of come onto the pitch and play some minutes. Now, he obviously plays for United, uh, loves playing for United. Anybody would love to play for United. The question mark is if he is good enough, and maybe it's clear now for many that he isn't at this point. But this is where I'm going to change the argument a little bit. Um, I 
this is the benefit of having a professional on the um, on the podcast. If this is a different Jesse, so the one that we've seen for the last two years, if he's determined to return to level we saw from him two or three years ago, and I, I say this with the caveat that he still was, maybe wasn't the best player, but definitely a capable squad player, is it worth keeping him around? Because the message is that the club will support you if you're going through a tough time and you're not just going to be discarded, you're not going to be seen as somebody on the scrap heap, you're going to have a chance. I'm not saying that we do this with every single player and give them another chance, but if he's, if he is turning over a new leaf, if he is trying to be this new, um, you know, if he's putting in the extra effort, and he, and he certainly seemed to be the most dedicated on, um, in the last game, is it worth saying to him, all right, we'll give you another chance? Um, if, Ollie, if Ollie's following the line um, that I think he's following and who I think everyone knows who his mentor is, even if it's, it's not, there's no 100% proof it is, but yeah. I, I believe he's going down that road, I would believe that he won't go down that road because sentiment doesn't come into it now. It's about results and the performances and... And if doesn't you know, yes, we all feel sorry for people. Everyone's got their reasons why they're not performing well. And today's fashion is is about headspace and about what's going on. But <clears throat> the moment you start bringing that to work, then obviously I think you have to move on. You have to go and try something. You go somewhere else, and that hopefully going somewhere else will take away those those issues which yeah. have been in your head. A change, a complete change in what's in front of you could make a different a complete difference really and I'm one of those people is that one of those blokes I should say that I couldn't I didn't bring anything like that I, I didn't bring anything that moment of football was important when I come off the pitch that's when I have to go and deal with that problem but for 90 minutes I would try and be the best if I had a bad game it wouldn't be because it was I had something in my head Mm. And I wouldn't talk about my my personal issues outside of the people who need know. Yeah. But I think it's today's fashion that's go out there and talk about it when I think it's wrong to do that, given because it comes across as if you're trying to make excuses. And that's what and, and people the problem is now that everyone wants to be offended by things. But I'll just say as it is, is that after a while, when people are saying that, you've got to say to yourself, he shouldn't really be talking like that because it's not painting a good picture. As much as he thinks it's letting, stopping people judging him, it's not helping by saying that because there's people who will be thinking it at least. Yeah. So Jesse has got to put that to bed and if, he doesn't, if, he's, if it's better for him, which it mostly is doing that now because he's been in that club a long, long time, to try and get back what he had before and given his age and everything now, it is very, very difficult to go and do that and the best way he could have gone and done that was to carry on and work really hard but keep everything else off that pitch 100% off the pitch yeah and off the pitch and away from football away from newspapers away from podcasts whatever it is that bit was was personal and it should never have been out there in the public domain yeah because it comes across not very well the the point if I understand what you're saying, Paul, isn't so much that he shouldn't talk about his problems. It's if you're going to do that, it shouldn't be a deflection technique. You, you, like we've said in 
without even knowing whatever problems he was going through. And I still don't really know, apart from what I've read and the things that they've said about family members being poorly and stuff. Yes, okay, that's fair enough, and obviously he deserves all the support for that. But the point <coughs> is that a couple of years ago, well, pretty much every pre-season, there seems to be a story of him doing stupid stuff that gets posted on social media. And then was it? It might have been last summer where. Solskjaer was forced to have a word with him, wasn't it? You know, he's basically saying to him, you can't do stuff like that. And what I'm saying is, if that's the excuse, you, you don't have to behave in that way. Do you know what I mean? If, you, if you're suffering, then fair enough, but you don't have to behave in that certain way. And if you do behave in that certain way and you're still using that as an excuse, then fair enough again. I'm not judging again that, you know, you go through difficult things, it makes you react in a different way. But this is, this is a very different argument from the fact that he's probably a year too long at United. Do you know what I mean? And I, I'm saying that with all due respect to him because he's, he's had um, a better career than many young players would have at United. I mean, he's gonna whenever he leaves, he's going to leave with having scored an FA Cup winning goal, which not many people have, have done that. So he does have his contribution to United history. I just think at this point... I, I put the argument to you because I think it was a devil's advocate kind of thing um, but I think they, like you said, take sentiment out of it it's um, it's a clinical um, perspective you've got to look at on that theme, let's move on then talk about Chong, who, who came on at left back and this is the kind of um, area um, that you, you probably have some kind of um, <laughs> relevant experience with really because he, just as Gary Neville came in he was tipped to be a centre half and then he, you got injured and he saw his opportunity to come in at right back and he made his name at right back Chung is nominally a, a left footed right sided attacker um, he comes in from that side and cuts in he was obviously told well we, we don't have any numbers at left back who's going to put their hand up and play at left back and he said yeah, I'll, I'll do that for me, Paul, you know, let's take the performance aside. I thought he showed a lot of attacking promise, and obviously that sort of defensive um, inexperience. You know, there were a couple of times where he didn't close down the cross and, and things like that. And obviously, the the positioning that you would expect of a player who is sort of moonlighting in that position. But on the positive aspects of it, he put his hand up to be picked, and he gave it a good go. And you know, he was obviously trying hard because he saw the opportunity in the team I'm not saying that it's a long term solution but um, perhaps for the next few games it, it, it's worth persevering with you know as, as the number two option to Williams <clears throat> I don't see nothing wrong with it because I think if we go back even further you can always have a look and say that Ashley, Ashley Cole started that way, mm. he was a winger who went back there and be interesting what he would have been like as a winger, if I'm judging by the way he is. He mostly wouldn't have been a good winger, but he was a very good attacking fullback. Mm. But what he was as well, he's a very, very good defensive fullback as well. Mm. And you remember the battles that him and Ronaldo used to have. It always used to be talked about, those two playing against each other. So um, I can see where you're going. There was definitely more positives from him being a left-back and then what there was him being an attacking wide player, I must say, mm. without a doubt. Him coming on in a European game or him playing in a European game, that was his better performance than what I've seen. Because yeah. I've heard the stories and people love to beef up a young United player. But I saw more from that. I'm not going to say it's been it's, it's complete, 
but you're saying that was better and there's a there's an maybe something to build on from there especially when you look at that he can attack because that's what his strength was initially was to attack but attacking from a deeper position with the game in front of him seems a better option than being in front of the play then because that's a harder way of playing the game in the forward area so there could be an opportunity for him yes there's going to be naivety on his defending on getting tight and stopping crosses maybe on positionally but that's something that can that can be learned some people are born to defend some people can learn to defend and I always say it it's easier to teach someone to destroy than trying to teach someone to create because you're born to create so there might be an opportunity for him a door there to be to be closer involved with the squad yeah he showed a nice balance as well you you, we've talked about Luke Shaw and I know it was one of your biggest criticisms criticisms of him that he runs in sort of blind alleys Mm. but and this is obviously this is dependent on whether Chong can add the defensive side to his game but the penetration that he shot, and yeah, it is LASK by the way. Let's let's not um, get too carried away. But he showed this kind of penetration that you don't often see from left backs. You know, a little bit, dare I say it, like what Gareth Bale was like as a left back. I mean, um, you know, obviously he doesn't have the end product anything like Gareth Bale, but in the way that he can skip past the player. Obviously, Luke doesn't have that in his game. Brandon, maybe a little bit, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see, um, and I, I think he'll probably. I can imagine that he'll probably get some minutes if United are comfortably in front um, in in one of the games. Um, a little bit of concern, um, Eric Bai. Um, now he played the full ninety minutes. He went down at one point with a head injury, and he's obviously fine and he, he carries on. But it's every single game, Paul. Every single game, you're watching him. And it's like Russian roulette. That's what I feel like I'm watching that. And, and it's a little bit like Marcus Rojo. Like, he's a bit of a, a risk. Now, on quality, you'd probably say you're more confident with either of them than Lindelof. But there's, there's so much of a risk to to your team and the opponent's team that, that it's almost kamikaze to, to have them in the side. You mentioned Chris Smalling, and, and we've had a different opinion on this. And, you know, I've, I've said before, I thought it was the right time for him to go. And, and one of the biggest concerns I had was VAR, because he wrestles in the box. And I can just imagine him giving away, no exaggeration, five to ten penalties a season with VAR because of the way that he wrestles in the box. And I think, I didn't see that much of him at Roma, but I know that there was an instance in the first few games. And I remember thinking, ha-ha, that's, I'm, I'm proven right. But as the season's gone on, I don't think there's been that much of that. I think he's improved a lot. Incorrect. So if he comes... is And, you know, I'm willing to have my opinion changed on him because he's obviously got a lot of the raw um, abilities that he needs to centre off, uh, even at his age now. You know, because obviously if someone goes on loan, um, especially later in their career, as we've seen with other players, um, it's bye-bye time. Is it feasible to say that he can come back? And I mean, I'm not talking Glazer's penny pinching sort of stuff. I'm talking about the best option for what we we need. He could actually certainly, when I've just mentioned by Rojo, Lindelof, Jones, obviously, at least worth an opportunity. He's got to be, hasn't he? You know, he's got to be given the chance to say, well, have you learned from your spell in Roma, where obviously defending. In Italy, it's still maybe not what it was, but it's still the preferred art form 
is, is the art of defending. So he's got to have learned over there. He looks like he has done. It's got to be worth seeing. Oh, well, let's see what you have learned then. Well, I would... I. Well, I said it earlier, yeah. <clears throat> earlier on about my opinion about him, but when you miss out on spending 40 million on Aki, yeah. you know, which I think is, was good value. Seriously, seriously was, good yeah. value. Everyone's old, but he was in a team that let in 60 goals. I come from a team, Queen's Park Rangers to Manchester United. We didn't have the best defensive record, I'm sure. If it was about that, there would be a lot of other centre-halves who wouldn't be playing for top clubs. Because you defend as a team, you, you you know you concede as a team, you score goals as a team. You know it, it, it's madness when Aki was a good good centre half, sense danger, had good pace, but he was so good with the ball at his feet and great in the the opponent in the opposing box. He's going to make City better. Yeah, he will. He, he will make City better. That's a good signing for forty million. I'm saying my bit was small, and I was. Disappointed when he went, given what was in front of him. Yeah. Even more disappointed the, the fact of what they went and bought for eighty million. And if I look at Chris Smalling. Chris Smalling has gone to Italian football, where football education is like massive over there. They they are intricate on every little bit, every detail is iron is put there in front of it, and they all just go through every little bit of it to iron out every little bump there is out of your game. They will try their best. And he grew in stature there. I'm sure that he learned so much positionally because that was a big problem for him. That's mostly why he was tugging on shirts because he wasn't doing his work early. Mm. And what they do over there, they focus your mind on your job. So straight away, he knows what his job is and what he's good at. So he will come and do that bit. And what he does on top of that is an actual bonus. He won't be kidded into thinking and wanting to be this great footballer because he knows that's not in his repertoire. He wasn't bought as a footballing centre-half by Sir Alex Ferguson. He was bought as a defender, as I was bought as a defender. That's what he liked about him. He saw something about him, but everyone else, and Gareth Southgate is the person I blame for this, turned around and said, virtually said, I don't see him as a footballing centre-half I want. It's like Glenn Hoddle when he said Andy Cole virtually misses more than he, score, he scores. Yeah. What yeah, a ridiculous absolutely. statement that is to make about any centre-forward of a record like his goal-scoring record. Ridiculous statement to make as a manager. Gareth Southgate went and said something stupid as well because straight away all he'd done was massage an ego of Maguire who suddenly thinks that he's, he's this ball-playing centre-half when he's not. So South, for me... Um, Smalling coming back, and this could come back and bite me on the bottom, but I believe he, he's come back to Manchester United as a better centre-half than the one that's left. Yeah. And and the, his attitude is as well, I'm sure his attitude is, just by judging him, listening to him talk, is that I'm going to come back and I'm going to prove everyone wrong. Not I'm going to come back and be bitter and twisted because I'm going to be throwing the reserves, I'm not going to be involved. We've already seen that Ollie's willing to give players an opportunity. Matic is the first one. Look at Matic now when he's got the confidence of a manager yeah. behind him. So I think that if, if, if Ollie isn't going to go and spend that, if he's looking now, I don't have to go and spend that money on the centre-half because I've got a better one coming back. Fair play. Give it a try and see what happens next. See if the other centre-halves will step up as well. Will Rojo come back? And what will he be like? I'm not thinking the same the same as Chris Smalling, but going back to where you started this and Baye, um, you would never put Baye and Steve Bruce in the same room. 
<laughs> You'd never put him because the one thing about Brucey is that when when Brucey took a whack in the head, Brucey mostly wouldn't know what was happening next week. But he would get on his feet, and the, the next thing is where is the ball? Because if I know where the ball is, that means I've got a great opportunity, or, or I've got the I've got the the chance to stop something happening positive for an opposing team. Yeah. And, but, but lying down on the floor is not going to help my team it's going to prolong the game let's get up and get this over and done with quickly let's make sure that I show that person that I'm tougher than him not to stay down and wait for the sympathy vote and then move on <clears throat> that's, I mean that's, that's the problem with head injuries now people want to lie down and there was head injuries going on for years and years in football and people just bounced up and, and now, because of the way the things, the way the world's going, that the moment someone gets hit injury, they think, well, I better lie down because someone's going to come and check me. They're going to lie down. That's five minutes gone out of the game, not thinking the referee's going to add it back on again. But it becomes a prolonged saga in the game, which is stifling the game of football. But by is the major culprit. And I'm sure he's not endearing himself to Ollie because Ollie wants his centre half to be one of his toughest people. Yeah. And when and when you've been brought up in a culture of Manchester United, of me of my five years there and thereafter, and then you and then all of a sudden the supporters who were brought up pre nineteen eighty eight or eighty nine, you've been brought up with Steve Bruce as your centre half, mm-hmm. and even a Gary Pallister who would never allow anyone to let him, he wouldn't allow anybody to um to think they're you know tougher than him. There's a massive problem when you've got centre halves who go down, who stay on the floor longer than what a ballet dancer would with a bad ankle. <laughs> it's, that's one thing, and obviously, if he, if he had an head injury, that's that's a completely different thing. It's, it's a sort of preening around it. But I think it's not so much the head injuries for me, it's that every single time you see him going to a tackle, you're thinking, oh my God, someone's no, no, going to well, I've, I've said it for ages about him that he's. Reckless, mm. he's uncontrollable. And when he goes into things, he he will not allow a situation to let something happen and then to deal with it. He wants to deal with it even before he's got the opportunity to assess the situation. And it's he got hurt at Wembley in the semi final because his centre half partner did exactly what he normally does. Yeah, yeah, just just went straight in when they didn't have to. Let the outcome. My biggest argument, which cost me. I think my long-term in my injuries and everything stem from a cruciate injury. Mine come from a goalkeeper. I'm chasing back Paul Rideout at Southampton towards my own goal. I'm chasing him back. I've won the race. I've won the race to the ball. My next stage was to get on the ball, to either turn out and run away from him with the ball or to roll it back to my goalkeeper. But even before I could even... Next stage of me getting in front and then thinking, right, here I go... Next thing I know, I go on the floor and my knee is pointing a little bit outwards because my goalkeeper decided himself that he was going to deal with it when I'm winning, when I've won the race. Mm. He hits me. You've got to wait for an outcome. And Baye doesn't wait for an outcome. He wants to deal with it straight away. When he got the, um, was it the penalty early when he come on the sub? Yeah. He gave oh, away yeah. a penalty, yeah. Instead of saying it was a poor ball for Matic, a rarity, he could have just said, whoops, let that go because he's up near my arm and then he could have then just kind of and if someone had run across him the ball was going wide anyway he could have then defended it even be honest even De Gea might have been able to get to that ball because there was quite a bit of pace on it and it was reasonably high so no one was going to get on it straight away to go and score a goal but nope he puts his arm up to handball it straight away <laughs> yeah 
be right. Um, that is his problem. And he is a raw defender who has still not lost that rawness and you thought he would have done. And, that's, and that is the problem. If it was a Sir Alex Ferguson there and managing him, he would be a different player to what he is now. That rawness would have been taken away from him because he would have learned not to be so selfish as a defender. He would have learned and players around would have voiced an opinion at him about what he's doing wrong. But because he played and it was under Mourinho, Mourinho likes those kind of things, players like that. Look at Rojo. He, didn't le- he hasn't learned anything about defending in the Premier League. Yeah, he's well, another player. He hasn't moved on. But when he has played well, when I've seen a few times... He's a, I saw him play I saw him play live for the first time when I was in Brazil for the World Cup and I saw him play at left back for Argentina what a good player yeah but you put um, Rojo and Eric Bay together and the question is oh, if you, oh. can we keep a clean sheet is, will anyone oh. survive well <laughs> Christ well, and it, well does it, how many, did it, those centre forwards who play against those two they might be able to get a bit of fun and score goals but I'll tell you what they'll be happy to walk off that pitch Unaided. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the Europa League, then United playing against uh, Copenhagen <coughs> today. Um, but, yes, they're in a European quarter final poll. So you say, well, you, you can't take them for granted. Um, obviously, the Danish league isn't the strongest. You should be looking at a comfortable win for United. Um, but then again, it's not. United I was looking you know obviously we played them in 2006-07 yeah. in the Champions League and Oli was playing and, and Sol Bakken was um, their coach obviously he went away and came back as as did Oli um, and it was comfortable there I think Copenhagen actually beat us at their place I but, think, oh yeah I remember that I thought they had um, but but yeah I mean the, the, the fact is that that was a that was a well burgeoning on, on a great United side and and this um, isn't, so you can't really take it for granted. Even if I mean, you, you've got to be saying that United are going to put the strongest side out and go for it. Um, do you expect United to sort of win comfortably? I would expect them to win comfortably without a shadow of a doubt. But the game is on is on different soil. <coughs> they're they're both teams. Excuse me, <coughs> both teams. It's a different different scenario. Both teams are playing out of their comfort zone now playing from behind closed doors in somewhere different and it's a one-off game mm. so that's the bit now which is the big difference now it's a massive cup final for FC Copenhagen for United people will be talking about this being a formality for United to go through in a two-legged affair all day long all day long I would say United I would have to believe that whatever happens if there was away from home in the first leg and if there was any issues, it'd be dealt with back at Old Trafford. But in this circumstance, this is new. This is a new concept. It's it's, it's going to be quite quite enjoyable, to be perfectly honest, to watch this, see how this pans out. Because you wonder if this could be a new idea that might come into it, another one, or it could be another one that disappears like the water break, and the amount of sub- substitutes yeah. on the touchline. Well, <laughs> let me just interrupt Paul. Sorry, very quickly, just to ask about that because, you know. Effectively becoming knockouts on one-off games, all held in one place. Like you, we have talked about these negative aspects of what changes in the game will be taken on board, like water breaks turning into ad breaks and mm. and VR VAR breaks as well turning into commercials. But the idea of like effectively a mini World Cup for European teams, I mean, maybe not for the Champions League, but it could be something that is it makes the Europa League in particular a much more attractive 
competition. I, I said that the other day when I was, I was on the radio the other day and I said about it, it makes it more appealing for teams to actually to maybe go and do that. You think of the teams who I've lost I've, I've lost track when it's, I think this I think it's starting quite quick the qualifiers isn't it for this competition yeah. already so I think some of them, I don't know anyway that's gone on but I think this adds that little bit more this adds like the maybe the gravy to the meat of this tournament it gives that little bit more thinking if you can then go to a knockout stage in the quarterfinal it cuts down on the games but it adds to it and you want to get into that bowl and be in there because you think about everything about your football club to aim just to be in this mini competition in, a, in say like i.e. in Germany is a fantastic it's a fantastic place to go because you don't know what's going to happen next so I think it definitely adds something to it. With the fact of it being a Champions League spot at the end of it, I think if it, if this one was to if this one was to pan out, I'd be so pro it because it because the one thing it does do it it, it lifts that Europa League, yeah. whatever you want to call it, whatever whatever year it comes around, whatever they want to call this competition. But it lifts it lifts it as a secondary one to the Champions League. So this is something that might stick. It might stick with it. And I think there's more people who'll accept this rather than that silly water break, which they're worried about again. Is more money being made out of things, and they're ridiculous. These substitutions, it's just ridiculous. We're losing, you know, games before was about the ball was in play for what 65 minutes with these substitutions and the water breaks that went on. The games was cut down for time. People, you know, lucky enough there was, you know, empty stadiums. Otherwise, I think a lot of people would have walked out to be honest because they weren't. There wasn't enough entertainment. There was. There was lots of people having nice times drinking some nice fruity drinks. That, that was quite nice. And it's meant the substitutions coming on and going on. All tactical. No, it wasn't tactical in that sense. It was just a case of, well, we just do that to keep the, all these players happy. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm, I'm the same as you. Anything that, first of all, makes it different will appeal. Because, you know, instead of just stockpiling, you know, the sort of group, that weird group stage. Um, yeah. And stuff like that. To have it like, especially let's say like you have a knockout, have it a straight knockout in the first few rounds, and then, and then do what they do now, take the host of the final and have the quarter final and the semi in the week before that. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I honestly do. I think it, uh, and it'd make it. <laughs> you know, nobody will want to be in that competition still. Well, that's say nobody. Uh, Manchester United wouldn't want to be in that competition, but it'd be a nice change if we were. Um, well, I say nice change. It would be something that you wouldn't dread, something to look forward to and actually enjoy rather than endure. Yeah. Um, and out on that point, then Paul, to close that, um, we don't have to win to qualify for the Champions League. But how seriously do we take the competition? You take the competition as serious as you would do finishing the qualifying spot or trying to win the league. Can't do, Ollie cannot afford to suddenly <clears throat> go there, go into this and thinking we've already done the job because that's that's going against everything, against the person who he who he looks up to mm. by doing that. For him, he he's going to want to win a trophy. He has to want to win a trophy at the least. He has to want to get to the final at the least. That's what he's got to aim for. I've got to make the cut to get into that final. He's got to do that, has to do that at this moment in time because it's a great time to go and do it. And if he can go and do that, then what will happen is the people who are against him, and there's a, there's a lot of them, will be, will be shut up for a long, long time because they can't say anything because he's gone and, and won a Europa League at Manchester United. 
no different to the person before him. So he's gone and done it. So I'm, I'm 100% sure that he wants to go and win it. He can see the opportunity to go and win this competition. There's a good team still left in it. The Europa League specialist, Sevilla, they're in there. They're they're a tough nut to crack, and you just want to. And if you're going to win it, you always have to at some point play the best, and then you have to beat them to go and win the competition. So it's there for United to go and do that. Yeah, absolutely. And Man United reserves are still in it as well. Inter Milan <laughs> um, <laughs> with um, Alexis Sanchez, um, Romelu Lukaku, and Ashley Young in their team. So. Um, yeah, um, would be interesting to see if we come up against them as well. Um, hopefully, anyway, next week we'll be talking about our chances in that European final, whoever it is against. Um, yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, again, thank you so much for the continued support um, for the podcast. Um, it's really mind-blowing. It's, it's great, and I really um, appreciate the fact that people seem to be enjoying it. We will be back next week. Until then, stay well. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.